welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome, welcome, welcome to you all. If we haven't met, my name is Micah. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Glad you're here. And at Advent every year, uh, we have done a series that we call the Advent Art Series. And in that, we invite artists uh, of two different kinds, writers and visual artists, each week to create around the themes of Advent. And um, each week, those folks come and share uh, what they have brought or what they've prepared. So I would like it if you would please welcome our first Advent artist, Renee Springer, and then in a moment, Bethany Pearson. So if you would, Renee. Hello. I'm just going to tell you all right now, I'm going to cry. I'm fine. It's, we'll all get through it together, but I'm just warning you. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> um, so for the art this week, I did a drawing of these geese. Um, it's a charcoal drawing, so I filled the entire page and made it totally black with charcoal. And then all the lightest parts, you use an eraser and start pulling everything out. So it's kind of reverse of how you normally draw. So the highlights are kind of what you're drawing in. So that's that. Um, so Micah asked me a couple months ago to do the art um, for Advent this year, and I was very excited and said yes. And I wasn't really worried that I didn't know what I was going to make, because um, I think one of the greatest myths about how artists work is that we work in bouts of inspiration. That is not true. Um, there, someone much smarter than me said one time that inspiration shows up at 9 o'clock every morning when I sit down at my desk, which is true. And um, about a month ago, I had the privilege of meeting this artist, Vanessa German, and one of our undergraduate students had asked her, how do you deal with working when you don't feel inspired? And her response left me slack-jawed and in awe, and she looked that student right in the eye, and she said, you were pulled forth from nothing. Your very being is already inspired. All you need to do is work. And so, with those wise words ringing in my head, I started sketching and drawing and trying to work, trying to find something that would work um, for this season, and I was really struggling, but I just kept telling myself, that's fine, just keep working. So sketching and drawing and drawing and sketching, and. Just nothing was working. Everything felt very flat and insincere. And I started to get that little sense of panic as something's getting closer and you still don't have anything ready. And so finally, I started to think and write a little bit about why am I struggling so much with this. And I thought, it is difficult to speak to peace and joy and the love that we typically associate with this season when you do not feel those things. And this last year for me has been incredibly hard and just full of a lot of brokenness. And spiritually, I just felt dry as dust, nothing left. And so I thought, how do you speak to that and still give hope. Um, so as I kept working, I ended up coming across this poem that I thought said it much better than I could ever say with words. So I'm just going to share this short poem with you. Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. 
You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles in the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. The sun and clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over and over again, announcing your place in the family of things. If you are here today and you are hanging on by a thread, I see you. I'm with you in that moment. Geese fly in a V, as I'm sure many of us have observed. Um, but one thing you may not know is whatever goose is in the front is breaking the wind for the others, and it's very difficult, so it rotates. The one in the front will sometimes scoot on to the back. And sometimes that's just me. I am just kind of there, mechanically flapping along, doing the things, because I feel like the faith that I have to offer is just maybe hanging on by a thread. But if that is you, there is space for you here. I see you, and you are not alone. And there is still a seat for you at this table during the Advent season. Please welcome Bethany Pearson, our writer for this week. Thank you so much, Renee. Um, as an amateur writer, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to follow Mary Oliver, but I will do my best. Um, when Micah sent out an email to artists and writers asking for them to present something on the themes of Advent, I jumped at the opportunity because darkness is one of the themes of Advent, and that's a theme that's been in the back of my mind for several years, um, something that I feel a personal connection to. And as I started to write this piece, I kept noticing that my drafts were lacking in depth and emotional connection, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. So I was trying to figure out what to do with it, um, how to write a poem about darkness without relying on overused imagery and sentiments that bring the icons of pop culture rather than the spiritual darkness of Advent to mind. And um, this poem was just me trying to figure out ideas and like try to organize myself, um, and it actually turned into the piece that I'm going to share with you today. Um, it's me trying to understand the kind of darkness that isn't romanticized or prettified or desirable, um, the kind of darkness that nobody wants to look at. An abyss opens up if I try to understand it, a hold in the earth where words go to die. I haven't yet managed to teach my words how to walk over coals without incinerating, and that's usually the only light here, a light of smoldering things at the bottom of that pit, outlining in alternately vivid and vague distinction just how different are light and dark. I stand on the rim now, 
peering in, seeing nothing but the occasional outline of rocky crags, features of the unknowable which dozens of others have noticed and illuminated before me. But knowing the dark has nothing to do with choice. The metal band screaming bloody murder may or may not know a thing more than the average toddler about the depth of this well. Certainly countless words have been tightroped across it, some thrill-seeking adventurer looking straight down at the middle and snapping a photo for the gram, editing in a border of roses or a trickle of water, a skull or two in vogue. But the damp dread I feel icing the inside of me I could not dress up enough to sell, even as edgy. The Pons Asinorum is plain. Those who have known the dark praise the dark, having come back with secrets they can only share by shearing, having praised in that pit the light which was not yet, a sun which did not exist for them except by faith. I say faith and mean more than the columns of doctrine supporting religion. I say praise and mean less than the raising of arms and reciting of psalms. I do not know how to understand a thing except by standing under it, myself a tarp to catch its drips. I suppose there are darknesses we can only see in a friend's worried face. Only by the experience of climbing and slipping from those crags can we be coaxed into acknowledging a dark not wreathed with velvet and candlelight, a darkness nobody wants to look on, which even the artists say should not be painted or photographed, but maybe can be redeemed by virtue of its lack. While the themes of the Advent experience are words like waiting, anticipation, longing, and even darkness, I invite you to feel the tension between these words and the arrival of hope, love, peace, and joy. Thank you. I want to invite you in this next moment to uh, close your eyes, if you would, and just hear the words of Scripture as they're read. And I want to invite you to try to see what you hear. So if you would, Luke chapter 1. Praise be to the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Did you know that one-third of the Bible does not have the goal of communicating content to you. Uh, literally one-third of the Bible. It, it rather intends to make you feel something or evoke something into you, in you. Uh, what I mean to say is one-third of the chapters in the Bible are poetic. And poetry, if you didn't know, 
its goal is not to communicate content to you. It's not to tell you about propositions or to try to communicate some sort of truth propositionally to you. Poetry and song, it, it intends to do something to you. It intends to evoke something in your imagination. And I just, I, as, as I was studying for this week, I came across that and I thought, man, that is so fascinating to a group of people, myself included, who often come to the scriptures with that ask. Tell me something about content. Uh, communicate some truth about God to me. And yet, 33% of the Bible is not intending to do that. It's intending to make you feel something. It's intending to uh, in, uh, what's, incite your imagination about what's being said. And I would just suggest to you that we find two of those examples in Luke chapter 1, in Mary's song, which we studied last week, and Zachariah's song, which you just heard this morning. Um, so this morning what we're going to do is, I hope, to spend a little bit of time under this picture, whatever picture you saw in your mind about these promises that Zechariah speaks of and that Luke retells about who God is and what God is intending to do in the world that we study and that we spend time in in the season of Advent. Uh, I hope that it does something to you and in you. That's part of my job, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, a little bit of background. Uh, who is Zechariah? Zechariah is the husband of a woman named Elizabeth. And like many in scripture, Elizabeth is a woman who is barren. She was unable to have children. Um, so if you happen to be a person who has struggled with infertility, I'll just say that many of the women in scripture who play central roles know exactly what you feel in some ways. Um, Zechariah was a priest in the temple. At this time, around uh, when this was written, uh, there were somewhere between 18,000 and 20,000 priests in Israel. So the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and their job was to help worship happen in the temple. And they studied, or, uh, scholars would say that there were a lot of them, around 18,000 or so, which means that Zechariah, he knows Torah, he knows the prophets, he knows the writings, he knows the promises that have been spoken. He knows the long-awaited hope of Israel that Yahweh would one day return to Zion and would bring salvation to the people through the restoration of Israel. This is Zechariah chapter 8. He knows that God has made a covenant promise to a man named Abraham and to his wife Sarai that, that, that they would be a blessing or that God would bless them and in turn he would bless the world. That's Genesis 12. He knows that there would be a prophet who would come that was like Moses who would lead the people in a new kind of exodus. as Deuteronomy 18. Zechariah knows the promise of a king that would come from the house of David, who would sit on a throne that would have no end, Isaiah chapter 11. He knows about those who walk in darkness and in deep despair a light has shone. That's Isaiah chapter 9. Zechariah knows all of these things. If he's a priest in the temple, he knows Torah, he knows the prophets, he knows the writings, and he knows the hopes and the dreams of the people of Israel. So if you live in Zechariah's day and you're Jewish, you know all of these things. That there is someone, something, a promise, a hope that you're holding out for. Imagine the old guy who's sitting around the table, you know, playing cards, telling stories about the days of old to the young kids, hoping that they wouldn't forget because there were old people that told him about these things, hoping that he wouldn't forget. You see that guy, you know, your grandpa. Uh, at any rate, it's, uh, it's 1917, and this dog sled race goes from here to there. And there's no, there's no like Facebooks or Twitter or Instagram at this point. And so the only way you got news was the newswire, right? So when like news would come, you'd hear, you'd hear like glimmers of, oh, it, 
Will's here, and he made it to this checkpoint, he made it to there, and now they're calling him Iron Will, and it's like, people start riding, they make signs, they're like, Iron Will, Iron Will, and he goes through a town, he's like, who's Iron Will? And they're like, it's you! He doesn't even know it. You hear all these news and these sort of glimmers of hope, like, he's made it here, and he's not dead yet, and he's beating, and he's leading the race. And then there's the, like the moment of the, the morning when they, they're going to make it to St. Paul. And everybody gathers around, and you've been waiting there like since dawn, waiting for these dogs, like to hear the, the barking of the dogs. And then all of a sudden, that moment when like they come around the corner and you can see the dogs running, this is that moment. Like all of these people have been waiting, and they're hearing about this and a hope and Israel and restoration and a glimmer. And, and then this happens some woman gets pregnant miraculously by the Spirit, and then another woman who's too old and has not been able to have children becomes pregnant. This is that moment. And Zacharias sings a song. How does he get to the moment where he sings a song? He is the father of John the Baptist. So if you know this character in the scriptures, this is his father, his dad. And interestingly, he is uh, serving in the temple, and so it's one of his shifts, and he goes, and he's uh, lighting incense in the temple, and the angel Gabriel comes and says to him, your wife, who has not been able to have children, is going to have a child, and you're going to name him John. And of course, he hems and haws about this, and he doubts it a little bit, uh, saying this can't be possible. And it turns out that he, he, his tongue becomes tied. For 40 weeks, he can't speak. He's, he's deaf and mute. And Zechariah, in like a 40-week a, a period, experiences what Israel has been experiencing for 400 years, silence, not, no, no mention of anything. And then all of a sudden, this, this light bursts onto the scene. And so, if you can imagine, like, all the families gathered around, the aunties and the sisters, and Elizabeth gives birth to this child, and she says his name's going to be John. And everyone's like, well, that's weird, because there's no Johns in our family. That's, that's how you named your children, family names. There's no John that we know of. And, and then Zachariah, I just imagine, like, if you could put yourself in this scenario, Zachariah starts rustling things, and he's, like, trying to find an Etch-A-Sketch, and he's like... Can't say anything, but he writes on there, his name is John, and he holds it up, and everyone's like, you got to be kidding me. And then his tongue is loosed, and this is what comes out. His first words are what we know as the Benedictus. That's Latin for praise be. And his first words are words of praise. And so welcome to Advent. This is the season of the church where we begin four weeks prior to Christmas, and we begin walking through the darkest period of our calendar year, December 21st, the darkest day of the year, right in the middle of Advent. And we walk towards Christmas, where the light of the world comes into the world, and then we celebrate the 12 days of Christmas, and then Epiphany, where we come to realize and come to grips with and wrestle with what does it mean that the light of God has come into the world. This is my favorite, favorite time of the year. Favorite four weeks of the, of the whole calendar year is Advent. So we're studying the four canticles of Luke. Luke chapters 1 and 2 have four songs. Mary's song, Zachariah's song, Simeon's song, and then the angel's song. So that's where we've been with Mary, and we'll be walking our way to the angels through Advent. So welcome to you if you're here for the first time. Here's what I want to do today. I want to look at a few observations that we can, I think, grab or pull from Zachariah's song in Luke chapter 1. And the first one, I would say it this way. uh, that Past tense equals faith in a certain future. Now, what I mean by that is if you look at Zechariah's song and you dig into the language a little bit, the first half of the song, verses 68 to 75, are all written in past tense. In Greek, this is called the aorist tense. In, in Hebrew, it's often talked about as the prophetic perfect. 
And what it means is, it's this idea that it's speaking about a future event in the past tense as if it's already happened or been fulfilled. So Zechariah, he's talking about the fulfillment of promises that God has made to Israel, right? Promises of a redemption for the people of Israel, a horn of salvation from the seed of David or the house of David. Uh, He talks about salvation from the enemies of Israel, that they would be able to live and worship God uh, faithfully and, and holy, this covenant promise of Abraham and his ancestors. And it's all in the past tense. How do you speak about future events, right? Because Zechariah is speaking, and none of these things have happened yet. He's talking about the redemption of Israel, the rescue of Israel, the, 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 the restoration of this nation and God on the throne, but none of it's happened. Rome is still in power. The Caesar is still on the throne. Herod is still the puppet king in, in, in Jerusalem and around in Judea. None of this has happened yet, but he's saying all of these things in past tense as if they have already happened. How do you speak about future events as if they've already happened? A while back when I, uh, my wife and I bought our first house, it was in Richfield, and the basement was a bit of a mess, and so I decided to just gut this thing. I had it down to the cement floors and the studs and the cement walls, and I began to sort of build this thing back together, and it took a while. It, home, pro- home renovation projects, you know how they take a little longer than you think they might? So it had gotten to the point where it was the worst in the whole process, you know, where there's just, there's tools everywhere, there's sawdust, there's, there's uh, sheetrock dust. It looks awful. You, you all know what I'm talking about, that moment? There's no paint on the walls, and you'd swear, like, what have you been doing for the last four months? And Laura comes down the stairs, and she's like, I have had it. I can't stand it anymore. And I was like, oh, babe. You can't actually see it, can you? I'm like, right over here, this is where the Murphy bed is. It's going to fold down into, the, the, like, our, 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 your parents, when they come, that's where they'll sleep. And right over here, where you don't see sheetrock, I'm going to do this cool thing where I cut it and fold it and then mud it. It's going to be awesome. You won't even be able to tell it's there. And right over here is where the, the surround sound system is. I mean, two overhead tube right here and the subwoofer underneath your butt. I mean, it's awesome. You know, it's just going to rumble the whole place. I'm speaking as if it's already done. Because I can see it in my mind's eye. How do you speak about something in past tense as if it's already happened? I want to suggest faith. How do you speak about future events as if they have already happened? Faith. Faith is one of these words, these ideas, that it's it's like you can't tack it down. Like, uh, as 21st century scientific people, like we'd like to measure it and put it in, you know, and then pin it down to the wall. But faith is one of these ideas that you can only live and experience. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Question What in your life can you speak about in these kinds of terms? where you're talking about future events and realities as if they've already happened, that they're, they're going to happen, they are certain, they are true, real. Maybe said differently. What do you have faith in? What do you trust and put faith in? Is this at least in part what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus? Where we speak about the healing of the nations and the reconciliation of all things and God putting everything back together again as if it's happened. It's certain, it's true, it will happen. That's faith. 
Because you need to watch the news only to know that it's not happened yet, right? And yet, something about this season, people gather around this story, and they say, we trust, we believe, we have faith that God has done something in Jesus in this moment as Zechariah bursts forth in song because his son brings another son which brings light. Maybe this morning, I don't know where you've come from, and I don't know what you bring into this building in this experience of being here today. And so maybe uh, the church as a whole, or Christians, or a pastor, or someone who represented God makes it very difficult for you to trust. Maybe it makes it very difficult for you to have faith. Can I invite you this morning to just take a really hard look at Jesus? To let whatever else is, makes it a struggle to trust and have faith, if that's true, to, to let those go for just a moment and take a really hard look at Jesus, what he said, who he was, what he did, what he was about, the resurrection of this person. If that really happened, like take a good hard look at the person of Jesus. Would you ever consider putting your faith and your confidence and your trust in this person? Maybe not the institution that represented it or didn't represent him, or the person, or the group of people who bear his name, but like just for a moment, would you consider taking a good hard look at this person? And the question is, do you believe that, that that's true? Do you believe this happened? Do you believe this person was about these things and said, this is the way home. This is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to restoration. So Zechariah, he speaks in past tense about future events as if they've already happened. Fascinating. Also, I think you can notice that Zechariah rests the whole thing on two like pillars of Israel's history. And if you don't know these stories, um, I'll just take a moment to briefly talk about them. The Exodus and David are two pillars of Israel's story, and Zechariah, who sings this song, and Luke, as he retells it, rests the whole thing on these pillars of the Exodus and of David. Zechariah uses Exodus language in, in verse 74 when he says to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. If you remember Moses, the greatest songwriter ever, hey Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> that guy, he stands before Pharaoh and he says, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, says, let my people go so that they may worship, serve, same word, worship, serve, me in the wilderness. And that's the ask over and over and over in the story of the Exodus. Let my people go so that they may serve, worship me in the wilderness. Luke knows this. Zechariah knows this. And so when he sings this song, he says, hey, do you remember this story? The greatest story of Israel's history. The one where God rescued you and brought you out of a land and gave you a land and set you up to be a city on it. Do you remember that story? It's happening again. It's a new exodus of sorts. And as Luke retells this, over, I mean, all over the place, it's so beautiful. He's a brilliant writer. He's telling the exodus story again and again and again. And Zechariah hangs and sets this song on this pillar of the exodus story and a new exodus happening. And then the story about David. Not only does he connect it to the exodus, but this Davidic and covenantal promise that God gives of a Messiah who would rescue Israel. He says, he has raised up a horn of salvation from the house of his servant David. 
He's tapping into Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, all these prophets who have talked about this covenant God who will write a new covenant on God's heart, on the people, uh, uh, on the hearts of God's people, in the shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. All these things are in the mix here. And as Zechariah sings this song and Luke retells it, it's Exodus and it's David. N.T. Wright says this. He says, Luke is preparing us to see that God, in fulfilling the great promises of the Old Testament, is going beyond a merely this-worldly salvation and opening the door to a whole new world in which sin and death themselves will be dealt with. You see, for Luke and for Zechariah, as he's talking and he's singing, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about their specific instance and what's happening to them, that they've been under oppression and these people have marched into their city and destroyed their temple and are now oppressing them and they're all singing and crying out, God, when will you come back to Israel? And that's true and that's a promise that God made. And Luke says, and it's even more than that. It's not just social, it's not just local, it's global, it's, it's the whole cosmos. That in this moment... As Zacharias sings this song about this son, which, which will bring forth another son, something is happening that not only answers, answers a local question about a specific group of people, but a cosmic question about the whole world and about you and me. And Luke is presenting this material in this way. He's telling a bigger story. The ultimate goal is that something definitive has happened in this moment, something that will change the world, the course of history forever. So again, I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Like, why are you here? Because you're considering this truth. You're considering this idea. At least in part. Maybe you were drug here and you don't want to be here and you're looking forward to donuts at Moochie's. Totally cool. I get it. They're pretty good. I would say, though, that Mojo Monkey is better. I don't... I mean, don't throw... Don't hate, don't hate the messenger. If you want the best maple bacon long john in the entire city, I would suggest to you, can I get an hallelujah amen from the front row? It's Mojo Monkey right over here. But if you go to Mojo Monkey on a Sunday morning and you come to church, I will know. The place will make you smell like donuts for days. So send in some crazy person, you know, a bystander on the street with a couple bucks, ask him to get you a donut and get him one or her and then come to church and no one will know. Why did I even start talking about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe you're here and you're looking forward to donuts. <laughs> but maybe, in part, you're considering whether or not this is true. And so I would ask you this morning, is there anybody here who needs to be led out of darkness? Is there anybody here who feels like they need someone to deliver them from some kind of oppression, something that they just cannot get out from underneath? Is there anybody here who feels enslaved to something that they need to be set free from? Is there anybody here today who has lost hope in the governments of our world, who's just sick and tired of the political process that you see day in and day out, where you'd need a new, a new rule, a new reign, a new king, so to speak? Is there anybody here for whom those questions have anything to do with your life. Welcome to Advent. Welcome to the Exodus story. Luke says there's a new Exodus happening. There's a new king coming. Do you believe that's true? Last, I want to close with this idea. Zachariah's song, the last half of it, 
is so beautiful. It's a father who has a hope for his son. It's a dad who prays a prayer over his son's future. And if you're a parent in the room, I should have you in the palm of my hand right now. I mean, how many of us have prayed prayers over our children or our hoped children and their futures and what they might experience in the world or what they might be about in the world? And he prays this prayer. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet to the path of peace. This is a prayer of a father for his son. As a father, I have prayed prayers over my kids and their futures and their hopes and their dreams, and their lives. And as I was thinking about this morning, and I was thinking about all of you, as your pastor, I see, I'm, I'm growing to see myself in some ways as a spiritual father to many of you. That you are my spiritual sons and daughters. And as I thought about you, and my hopes, and my dreams, and my prayers for you, I thought, you know, I'm going to just take the liberty of using Zachariah's song as an inspiration to pray to offer a hope and a prayer for you. Awaken this church, my friends, my brothers and sisters, my sons and my daughters. And so, as we close, I want to just read this prayer over you. And if you want to just, or if you'd be open to, hold out your hands, or if you want to flip a kneeler down and use the kneelers or close your eyes, however you want to hear this, I would invite you to do so. This is my prayer for you as your pastor. And you, my sons and daughters, will be called an outpost of God's kingdom. By the Spirit living in you, you will prepare the way. You will hold open the doors for the weary and those making their way home so that they will remember from where it is they have come. As sure as the sun rises in the east, their brokenness will be mended and their hearts will be healed. They will be made whole. To those who have walked in darkness and despair, may they find in you a light, a light that drives away fear and guides them home. And may your feet wear thin the ancient path of peace so that in you, anyone watching, will know that indeed God has come. I invite you to a time of silence. And as you spend a few moments there, I'd invite you to consider these words of Zechariah, this prayer for his son, maybe this prayer for this community in our church. So Holy Spirit, come, speak to us now. My friends and brothers and sisters, as you go this morning... Um, a blessing, a benediction, uh, is something that typically one person gives to another, but every now and again, uh, I, I think we should give it to each other. And so the church has sung this chorus, many of you know it, it's called the doxology. 
Um, I'd like to just sing that as we close, and that will be our benediction one to another, okay? So let's do that together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.